Coffee and Cream on Hale Varsity Radio with Andrew Rogers and Damon Benning. The Go Big Project, the facility that was being built, was started, you know, obviously by the previous regime, is, I think, a game changer. Um, you might have heard me say this before, but when my, when my wife walked through it for the first time, you know, she's been in a lot of football facilities. She walked into my office and she's like, you better win some dang games because you got no excuses. I mean, it's, it's beautiful. Hey, top of the hour on coffee and cream in the morning on 590 ESPN Radio, live on Twitter, live on YouTube. DB, Andrew Rogers, happy to have you with us and happy to be joined by Mitch Sherman via StreamYard. If you are watching at home, catch him on YouTube or, uh, like I said, live on Twitter. There's Mitch now. Mitch, good morning. Good morning, guys. Morning, How's Mitch. it going? What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Mitch, I'm before, before DB gets into his questions here, he told me something during the break Did that I? I could not believe. And I need, I need it from the source. Uh-oh. Um, Uh-oh. Apparently at Fan Day, Mitch Sherman was dressed to the nines. Was that true? The, the family was in Husker <laughs> gear. He's not a very good listener, Andrew, but yeah. It was, no, 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 no. Not the, it was not my family. That was my neighbor. Oh, that was my neighbor. okay. That was my neighbor, Aaron, and his, and his, uh, his son, Damon. Um, Wait, are, his son is uh, Damon? Damon, yeah. Go check my Twitter. Go check, check my Twitter. So from, let's uh, get Sherman. Let's Justin. go. Let's. Now I'm disappointed. I thought, from... I thought you were saying it was Mitch. No, I – Yeah, so – so I miss okay, her. my kids, my kids not were there, smart. Damon. I know um, that. But you did not see them because when uh, when I was parking and got out of the car, I dropped them off, and they got in line. Well, I I, and, I uh, saw the I saw your middle son, and what when I was coming through, the, mm-hmm. it was still not it wasn't your middle son. So I saw he's the he's the hoop yeah. so he's the hooper that I saw at UBT. Okay, was that yeah yeah he was. Zach, he was there. Yeah, with his with his with um, my daughter, his older sister. There it is. Um, but they were in line when I saw you in the parking lot, and I was getting out of my car with some good friends who absolutely were dressed to the nines. The Not boom, just the, the boombox, but you saw you saw the you saw the bump box, right? <laughs> okay, so, so it was yes. friends of the Shermans. <laughs> Got it. That, yeah, that thing was. No, awesome. go check go check it out um, on my on my Twitter. I I, I retweeted. Um, my man Damon, um, <laughs> your who, other, uh, your other, your other you. guy. That's right, crazy. right. Damon, my thirteen-year-old bud, Damon, <laughs> who got to meet Matt Rule um, as one of the lucky four hundred, uh, and so he won the drawing. Or uh, yeah, it was uh, a drawing, well, I mean, right? He did it. There were a lot of, there were a bunch of winners, but yeah, he got he got picked to go see Coach and upstairs. You know, you couldn't even see it from on the field. They had, uh, they had. Matt rules um, the backdrop, so the fans who were down on the field could not see that that co- the head coach was up there on the balcony because he was he was behind a, a big set, and then all of the kids who got who won the lottery and got picked were were up there with him. That is cool. And you know, like like Matt Rule said uh, as he left Big Ten Media Days, his only disappointment about the upcoming Fan Day was that he didn't get to meet everybody. And that he, you know, he, they only had time for him. It was a big recruiting weekend, as you know, and camp was starting the next day. So he had a limited amount of time. They had 400 kids who got to meet him. And, and my, my guy, Damon, was one of them. And there is a picture that, uh, that he posted and then I retweeted on, um, I think, Tuesday night. It took him a couple days to, uh, to get the, uh, 
get the um, courage to go and post that picture. But um, <laughs> he's awesome, man. He's uh, he's Gretna's Gretna's biggest biggest fan. Um, you know, we could we could do an. I thought that was I thought that was Dirk Chatlin and Mitch Sherman. Gold. Yeah, no, I was not. I was not. Was, Dirk was not involved in that. Well, Gretna's biggest fan. But yeah, I, I was wondering. We yeah. were talking as as we were walking up toward the Hawks, like about how what what must uh, what must Damon uh, Benning, what, the other Damon, what must you have thought of that as you saw? Us I, I was great question. I was deathly afraid. So at like two forty, this is so funny. I feel like Mitch has my phone tapped. At like two forty. I'm trying to corral everybody because I'm looking for an escape route, right? And I, mm-hmm. when I looked at the clock, I was like, oh, it's over. I, I'm like, they had to have started to get there at what time? Probably 12, 12, 1230. So I knew we were, lined up, yeah. Yeah, we were just going to have to kind of walk through it. But I couldn't believe how they stack the day. You know how they don't like to waste time? Because, you know, we got mm-hmm. there at like 930, 945. The the barbecue went all the way up until three. Now the coaches are involved, obviously, so they're gonna they're running down after you get the facility tours, and they're getting ready for fan day with with zero break. And I guarantee you, their day started before our day. I just couldn't believe how they just don't have any wasted downtime in a in a fifteen eighteen hour day. Yeah, I ran into Dr. Elza out on the field. And, oh, she you know, was a she mile was, a minute. She needed about she needed to clone herself about five times last weekend. <laughs> and fortunately, she's got they have some some people working in the in the department. She's she actually is cloning herself and and and, and training some people to be uh, in in those administrative positions and do the do the things that she does. But it was you know she was looking forward at that point. She told me to Monday when practice started because as hectic as that is. And, you know, you're then you're dealing with 120 players. Um, it was it was going to be a uh, a reduction in pace from everything that was going on mm. that weekend in those few days leading up to the open at camp. I oh, can't wait for practice. So this thing slows down. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, how does that that doesn't need. But I I she was probably the second face that I saw at practice and she was all the way down in the what would be the easternmost corner of the double grass field, just walking kind of the facility to make sure. I'm not sure what she was checking on. It looked like she was like doing agronomy. Like she wanted to make sure that everything was everything with the setups on the field. That grass is fantastic. She, yeah, she has she has earned her, her, uh, her salary this summer, this offseason, but especially this summer leading up to – the open at camp and, 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 and coach rule mentioned on Monday that she had not taken a day off this summer. Mm. So you want to, you want to start to think about like where that operation begins um, from a logistical and administrative standpoint, it's right there. And you see how important that hire was for him to get right. Because, you know, everything that, that before it gets to his desk, you know, all of the things that he's got to do, the responsibilities that he has outside of coaching football. And there are a lot of them when you're the Nebraska coach, you know, they go through her and, you know, they seem to be managing it pretty well, especially for someone who's never been in that position before. Yeah. Mitch, we just got done talking about Miles Farmer a little bit. And, um, you know, I think it was 
pretty easy to catch on to after hearing Coach Rule speak on Monday that there was some disappointment there with, with Miles. And, um, you know, we, we kind of alluded that this could be, you know, w- w- what had come to be, right? You know, him okay. en- ending up in the transfer portal. Who's a guy do you think, though, that could take advantage of this situation and step up in his place on this team? Maybe not a starter in week one, but just somebody that could really take advantage of that open opportunity. Uh, well, I'd look at Corey Collier, the transfer from Florida. I'd look at Omar Brown, um, the transfer two years ago from Northern Iowa, who um, eased into things last year, dealt with some injuries, and you know has, by all accounts, had a, a very good offseason, you know, even before any of this began with, with Miles. You know, I'd look at Isaac Gifford, who I think was already uh, entrenched, and you know he's been a starter, but now he's in a position to be play an even bigger role. I think Farmer, if, if he had been around, um, you know, it was to be determined whether he was going to be a rover or or stay at, at safety. Yep. Um, now Isaac is is that guy at safety. Um, I think undoubtedly, you know, there's other players at that position. You, you have Gage Stinger, you have Javen Wright. You know, it, really interesting to hear um, Tony White mentioned the other day that Eric Fields is playing rover. At the, um, I, I think I, that's where Farmer was going to go. He Fields is yeah, the guy that I yeah. think could benefit the most from Farmer's departure. Yeah, and you know the funny thing about Eric Fields, and and I was in Ardmore, Oklahoma, back in in um, oh, early March, late February, when I went to Texas to do the story. We, we about talked about Bradley's. my love fest for him. Right. Yeah. Um, Fields is Fields is a linebacker. Like his mentality about football, it's all linebacker. In yeah. fact, there were schools that wanted to get in recruiting him, and he rebuffed them because they were looking at him as a safety. Mm-hmm. So I think it tells you the fact that here we are in the first week of camp and he's playing Rover at Nebraska, or at least, you know, dabbling with that. Um, you know, White said they're, they're moving him around, but the Rover was the first spot that he mentioned. I think it tells you something about how they see that position. You know, it's more, it's, it's a hybrid spot. It, it always has been, but I think in the big 10 with this defense, it's going to be more like another linebacker than it is like another defensive back. So if you have Eric Fields there because of the mentality that he has, and he's got the speed, he probably has the speed to play corner, but um, maybe not, but, but certainly safety um, athleticism to play as a defensive back, but he, you know, his, his brain is wired to be a linebacker. And to me, that says something about what they're going to use that Rover spot for. I know you're, playing. you're, you're going to laugh, but if early indications are, anything you know a guy that I think stands to really make a move he looks fantastic he was almost kind of left for dead with the with the previous staff he gets a new set of eyes and a new frame th Deshaun Singleton Mm. is a guy that he's not on anybody's radar but he's definitely a guy that I'm like I'm just watching him move and his body type he's trim he's long Singleton could have an impact before it's all said and done, and he's a guy we pretty much all but forgot about. Yeah, we heard from him in the spring, and I think I remember thinking in the spring when he came out to do interviews that that was a a surprising choice good, of the staff to call, send yep. and, and and talk to the media. And you know, usually that's an indication. Like when you see Ruquan Buckley and Blaze Gunnerson um, on the first day that there's defensive players um, available to talk here in, in camp. And those two guys are among the the, the, the four that they pick. Um, you know that says something about what the coaches think there. 
And, you know, it may not mean anything when um, when September rolls around, but it, it but it very well could. And, and you know, that was the case with Singleton back in in the spring. I think they liked what he was doing. And he's just he's another piece there. You know, maybe he is 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 the one that emerges or one of the guy that emerges. If if there was a spot on this entire team where they could afford to lose somebody as accomplished and experienced as Miles Farmer, it's probably right there um, in that mix within the secondary. I don't, I don't, you know, you, 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 you never want that. Or of course it goes without saying it's, it's a bad thing when, when you, when you lose somebody like that, whether it's injury or suspension or portal, but um, they can withstand it uh, right there. And, and, you know, it, it, it's going to present some opportunities for players like Deshaun Singleton to step up. We're talking to Mitch Sherman, Nebraska and college football writer for the athletic at Mitch Sherman on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Mitch, not only did we talk about farmer this morning, we also talked about, Big Ten expansion scenarios um, and the reworking of future schedules after adding USC and UCLA makes it easier to see how things could work out if the conference were to add two or four other Pac-12 schools. Fewer rivalry games, the disbanding of divisions, that's kind of why. But, you know, with the direction college football is going in the Pac-12 is heading, would you say the Big Ten would benefit more by increasing it by two or by four, and where would you kind of cap the number of, hey, th- this is the highest that, you know, one conference could really be at? I think it just depends on what this is going to be in the end. Mm-hmm. I mean, where, what's the end game here? Is it just to make college football like a, um, a version of the NFL where you got a couple of 20-team leagues or a couple of 24-team leagues? I mean, if the Big Ten and the SEC – are going to just be these vacuums that like suck up everything else in college football and are like the major leagues of college football. Um, you know, I could see it going as far as 24 teams. Um, it seems crazy. It's like, you know, obviously there's, that's, that's a higher number than what you have in the AFC and the NFC. But um, what if college football was a 48 team super league and then, you know, everybody else played at a, at a, at a secondary level. And if that's the case, well, then the Big Ten, it's going to be the Big Ten on one side and the SEC on the other side. And, and you know, I don't know where the Big 12 fits into all of that. Some of those teams probably are going to end up defecting to one of the, the two big leagues. But, um, you know, that's that's several steps down the road. You know, I don't think we're just going to get to that overnight, like pr- probably not even here in the next few years. There's an evolution process that's been going on. You know, you can go back to when when the the, the first real big round of expansion here in the modern era began. And, you know, that was of course involving Nebraska and Mizzou and A&M and Colorado. And, you know, the, the, the avalanche has just kind of rolled downhill since that point. And here we are, you know, I think realistically it makes more sense like in the short term for the big 10 to add four and be at 20 than it does to say add yeah. two and go to 18. Um, you know, and I don't know then about divisions. I mean, they're just, they haven't even disbanded the divisions yet. Um, we're still a year away from that. We know it's going to happen. But if you go to 20 teams in a league like the Big Ten, it's like, do you have to reinstall divisions? Are you going with like four or five team divisions or two 10-teamers? I mean, just the way that you would structure a schedule in a 20-team league gets pretty unwieldy if you don't have divisions. I'm, so I don't know. Maybe they're coming back. I don't know. Kind of like kindred spirits again, which maybe is why we get along. I, I think it is all about the long game. And I was saying in the last segment, it's like the fast nickels versus the long dimes. I think ultimately it'll be some big monster. I could see maybe four leagues or three, right? Because the ACC and the Big 12 right now is sitting. If you would have asked me a year and a half ago, 
okay, Texas is leaving, Oklahoma's leaving. What's the Big 12? The Big 12 kind of landed on its feet relative to losing their two bell cows. And it's an amazing basketball conference, uh, at least as it stands right now. I could see it being like four 20 or 22 league deals here in like 2030 or 2028 or something, and them doing it that way. And I think the vacuum thing is about is, – is pretty accurate. If you're playing the long game, which I think these conferences are, with a handful of mega conferences – yeah, they're going to have to start to do that. And I think, you, I mean, the commission. Especially as the NCAA weakens. Right. And, and and the commissioners in these leagues, and, you know, four of the five are new. Um, Sankey and the SEC is the only one of the five power five commissioners who's been at this for more than a few years. You know, Phillips, Jim Phillips, the former Northwestern AD who's in charge of the ACC, he's been there longer than the other three. But these other guys um, in the in the Big Ten and the and Pac-12 and the Big 12, you know, they're all like a year or less um, or 18 months or less into their jobs. And, and like you see, you can see this real contrast between a commissioner who is thinking big picture long term um, with Brent Yormark at the Big 12 and how that's benefited the Big 12 and set the Big 12 up to be viable, at least. And then what it's done in a place where they've not thought like that with George Klyovkov in the in the Pac-12. And it's like. You know, if this league disbanded next week, I don't think anybody would be surprised. So, um, you know, leadership is really important these days, more important than ever in in college athletics when it comes to this, uh, you know, the future and, and expansion. And, and, you know, I think based on the reports that I've heard from, you know, my coworkers at The Athletic and then getting to hear him for the first time in person last week, I think Tony Petiti um, at the Big Ten is, is you know, he's certainly positioned – and he's in part he's positioned because of the conference he's leading, but but also because of his skill set and his his background. Um, he's positioned to do a good job in thinking long term and big picture. You have to do that now, even if you're the Big Ten and you're in a good spot. Even if for the SEC yeah. and you're Greg Sankey, you have to think long term, big picture. What's this thing potentially going to look like ten years from now? Mitch, today we get to hear from Coach Sat, Coach Barthel, a few other offensive players. What are you still questioning about this offense heading into the season that you hope can either get answered today or at least in the next few weeks? Um, you know, I think the running backs, and I think we're going to hear more about running backs than any other position today. Um, it's probably the least uh, concern I have with any position group. You know, I want to know <laughs> – maybe how um, they're separating things now that we get to the spring. It's, you know, now that we get past the spring, um, to, we get to get to August and, you know, is it just like pick up where they left off from, from April? Because in April it was Gabe, Gabe Irvin and then kind of everybody else, you know, Anthony Grant started the spring on suspension. So he was behind, um, but you know, he's, he's okay now he's in good standing. So, you know, I, I'm curious with Barthel, like, are those the two guys right there, you know, who are competing to be an every down back? And then does Ramir Johnson kind of mix into there in some specialty roles? And can he can he be a hybrid um, player in this offense? Or are all three of those, you know, guys going through an intense competition to be, um, you know, the, 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 the player that you rely on? Um, despite that and those questions I have about the running back, it's the position I have the, the least amount of um, – 
just concerns about right now. I really look everywhere else. You know, I want to know what's going on on the offensive line. That's it's going to just continue to be a question until they go out and prove it. Um, you know, what's happening at left tackle? Is Teddy Prohaska ready to go? Is Turner Corcoran playing that spot right now? You know, how, how are they going to finally make this work for Turner Corcoran where you can put him in a spot and, and, and plan for him to be able to play that spot and stay there um, for a long term? I, I think that's that's big for him. It's big for the offensive line. You know, at receiver, is it Billy Kemp and Xavier Betts and then, you know, really everybody else? You know, that's kind of what it sounds like uh, early um, early in camp. Like those two guys are, are, are leading the way, especially with Marcus Washington coming, still coming back from – from an injury. And I think he fits in that mix too. He, he when, will. Um, when he's healthy for sure. But, um, you know, tight end, you're going to have Eric Gilbert. I mean, that's a huge question right now going into, uh, you know, as they, as they get further and further along uh, marching toward that, that first game, which is four weeks from today. So, you know, I think you kind of have to prepare, like you're not going to have him. And if you get him, then that's a huge benefit, but when are you going to find out? Because if he's a piece that's there, you know, looking at him, getting eyes on him and seeing him <laughs> on, on Sunday um, down at Fan Day, man, I mean, like I, I wrote this and and even before I before I saw him on Sunday, but like he, you know, he's a man among boys. Like he sticks <laughs> out if he walks in when, when he walks into an NFL locker room, let alone, you know, walking around um, in, in, in Lincoln. So um, just the ability to have him and the respect that he would command um on uh, uh, the, the respect that a defense would have to have to show to him. Um, and he can open some things up for a lot of, a lot of people They're They're, you know, potentially loaded at that tight end spot. And then, um, you know, if you don't have him, um, you know, we'll see on Fedoni how rusty he is. Um, it can go from a position that's super high on talent and potential to one where you're, you're, um, you know, you're not, not in that position. So there's still a lot of questions. Um, you know, the quarterbacks, I think the, we know what's going on there, but, um, uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting for sure to hear from uh, from Sat today and and uh, EJ about about the running backs. It's interesting. I'm just listening to you talk. Sat was the coach that I noticed the least in terms of his sounds, but was probably the busiest in terms of his movements. Right? He didn't say a ton, but he was constantly talking to guys within mm -hmm. the huddle kind of managing the deal he uh, he had good command let, let me get you out of here on on this Mitch if you're talking about the tight ends and it's a talented group and I felt yeah. like when the season started the coach that would be the most difficult to replace from last year's staff was Becton I, I, I felt like he was the one guy that every year his players got better they developed, and he had a really good rapport. And sometimes when you get a new guy, like it's just hard to match that chemistry and continuity. Do you think and, – and Coach Martin taking over for Wager has a, has a good resume, right? D D Division one guy and has put, put a couple of guys uh, in position to play in the, in the league. Is that – do you think that position is talented enough where they could make uh, just kind of a seamless transition if I could <coughs> convince you – that Becton may be the hardest guy to replace? I agree with you on Becton. And it wasn't just his coaching. It was just the whole, um, his aura, what he, you know, guys all over the team respected him. I mean, I think if, if Becton had him had ambitions in his career to be a head coach, like he would have been a head coach a long time ago. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he loved doing things the way that he did them and, and, 
you know, he was loyal to UCF for, for a long, long time. And, and uh, it's, it, it's, it's just the way his career went um, led him to be, I think, just a masterful position coach. Yeah. So, yeah, he's really hard to replace. Um, I, you know, I think there's enough, uh, there's enough support around Josh Martin. He knows what he's doing, oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. as a tight ends coach. I mean, he did it for six or seven years already at the FBS level. So it's not going to be a problem for him to come in and have issues coaching those guys. And I think the – He was an interim at done. ASU in a similar mm-hmm. in a similar deal. Yeah. yeah, and he's coached running backs. He's coached tight ends. So he knows what he's doing. And, you know, he's another guy like, like Garrett McGuire um, who grew up in coaching. His dad, Joe – um, longtime Texas high school football coach, you know, a leader in um, the Texas high school coaching community. Um, so he's lived around this thing. No questions at all about Josh's experience and expertise. Um, I think he knows the personnel as well as anybody on this staff does, with the exception of Rayola, who was around last year. But um, it, we'll see how it all comes together. You know, a lot of it's just going to depend on the availability of a guy like Gilbert and the health um, and readiness of Fedoni, who hasn't played in two years basically um you know they like what they have in borkature uh it's just going to be a work in progress i mean i don't think there's 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 many positions on the team where you know there's more like there's more there's a really wide uh there's a really wide like ceiling versus floor for this for this position group it could go it could go really high or if things don't work out some of which is out of their control um you know it's it, it might be a position that's not not a strength for them on the, on the offensive side, but, you know, I think it'll fall somewhere in the middle and, and it'll be a pretty good group. Um, and one that, you know, you get Carter Nelson into the program. Um, you start either state of Nebraska just tends to produce a lot of good tight. They're never, I don't think they're ever going to be at a, at a, they're never going to have an issue finding tight ends to play in this program. Mm. Um, so that's, that's a, that's a great thing. Um, I think for this offensive system, because it's one that really wants to feature that position. They have the bodies to do it this year, whether it all comes together, you know, we're, we're going to find out uh, here pretty soon. Mitch, thanks for taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. We'll talk again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Mitch. All right. Good to talk to you guys. That's Mitch Sherman. We'll take a break. More coffee and cream next.